This podcast is going to take you through the revision PowerPoint on back pain. When we think about back pain, we need to consider it as a very common problem. It's a common reason for people to come and see their GP. And in fact, it's the commonest reason for lost time from work in the UK. A lot of back pain that we see in general practice can be classified as simple musculoskeletal pain. We call it simple back pain. The etiology of simple back pain is actually fairly poorly understood and it's not particularly well known why some people seem to suffer with back pain a lot and others are never troubled with it. So when a patient comes to see you with back pain, often the task in hand is to try to decide based on what the patient tells you whether their back pain can be regarded as simple mechanical pain or whether on this occasion, the patient is telling you about something more significant. It's important to recognise that back pain may be of more serious pathology. You may hear the terms orange and red flags applied to back pain. And these are really symptoms and signs that suggest that more is going on than simple musculoskeletal pain. So what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at a, an older man who presents to his GP with back pain and give some thought as to what might be going on. So Peter Ridgewell comes to see his GP. He's a 78-year-old man. And we see a past history of prostate cancer for which he's on hormonal treatment. If we look at Peter's story... He's been experiencing over some while nagging pain in the low back, but he reports that this has become increasingly more severe over the last few days, to the extent that he's finding it difficult to mobilise. Pain keeps him awake at night, and it tends to worsen if he coughs, sneezes or strains at the toilet. He also describes some symptoms in his legs, these are experienced from the buttock all the way down to the foot and consist of odd feelings such as tingling, warmth, sometimes loss of sensation. Initially, he was getting this on the right side, but over the last few days, these odd sensations have worsened and they're now affecting both legs. As you know, through the year, we've talked to you about clinical reasoning. And one of the things that happens in clinical reasoning is that the doctor's brain starts whirring almost from the moment the patient starts talking. Indeed, their brain is often whirring before then, when they've looked at the patient's past history or seen the patient walk into the room. So as you're hearing about these initial symptoms, as medical students, your brain should be whirring there are some features here that cause you to wonder about the significance of these symptoms. He's an older man, he has cancer, and he describes symptoms that are apparently getting worse. The symptoms he's describing in his legs are of a particular concern. 
because burning, numbness, odd sensations in the leg are consistent with what we call radicular symptoms. These are symptoms due to abnormal nerve conduction in the leg. And their presence suggests that there is either damage or compression of the nerves from the back running down into the leg, most commonly the sciatic nerve. Now, you'll know from your teaching elsewhere that there can be any number of causes of neuralgic symptoms arising from the back, but the presence of such symptoms is a concern. So already, even by this point, uh, Peter's GP is starting to worry a little because he doesn't much like the sound of the symptoms Peter's describing. If we go on to the next slide, Peter is continuing to describe his symptoms. And it's fair to say that as he's doing so, his GP's anxiety and concern about Peter is increasing. Numbness around the saddle area is a particular concern, as is loss of power or coordination in the legs. Of even more concern is the fact that Peter appears to be describing interruption of urination. So we talk about orange and red flags, and Peter has now firmly moved from orange flag into red flag territory with regard to the symptoms he is describing. If his GP is awake, and thankfully he is, he's becoming concerned about Peter and his clinical reasoning brain is also trying to work out why this might be happening. What is it about Peter that might explain the symptoms that he's getting? So the next slide attempts to put into words what may well be going through Peter's GP's mind. And these are the sorts of questions that the GP will be asking himself. What's significant about this? Why am I uneasy? What other symptoms do I need to pay attention to? And again, as part of his clinical reasoning brain, uh, the GP is also thinking about what other assessments do I need to do? Do I need to examine this man? Do I need to do any tests in my surgery? What am I going to do with him? So I suggest that you stop at this point and perhaps pause the recording. Try and answer those questions for yourself. Because sometimes it's then turning your medical thinking brain on that you're able to call up knowledge. The next slide asks what other symptoms one should pay attention to. And in fact, Peter has mentioned most of these. Loss of power. Again, think about the function of the nerves. You have sensory fibres and you have motor fibres. If you're starting to lose motor function, if you're starting to lose coordination, that is more suggestive of significant nerve or spinal cord compression. Loss of perianal sensation and loss of sphincter control suggest involvement of the sacral nerves. Uh, the cordura equina. And these symptoms, loss of power, loss of coordination, 
perianal sensory loss and loss of bowel and bladder sphincter control are all highly suggestive of corda equina compression. And if we think about Peter and we think about his comorbidities, what is most likely to be going through Peter's GP's mind is that Peter has cord compression related to his prostate cancer, i.e. he has spinal metastases that are causing central cord compression. This is a palliative care emergency. The next question about the nature of the back pain is one worth spending a bit of time thinking about. Even simple mechanical back pain can be really unpleasant, and many of you may well have experienced that. I've experienced acute muscular low back pain myself, and it was really miserable. But unremitting pain pain that is clearly progressing over time and pain that interferes with sleep is a concern. That type of pain is unusual for simple mechanical back pain. Yes, indeed, if you've got a bout of back pain, it can be uncomfortable in bed, you can struggle to get off to sleep, but pain that keeps you awake or wakes you up and that doesn't stop is a concern. I mentioned before as well, but emphasise it again here, that what we might call radicular or neuralgic pain is a particular concern. This is pain that you feel in the buttocks, down the legs, into the foot. This is pain that is radiating from the spinal nerves. Now, you can get these sorts of symptoms in what we might call simple sciatica, which is where the sciatic nerve becomes irritated rather than damaged. But again, progressively severe symptoms of that kind are a concern and start to make you consider compression either of the spinal nerves or of the spinal cord itself. If those symptoms become bilateral, that is a particular concern. Bilateral symptoms suggest compression of the cord not of the nerve roots. If you have cord compression, then you are potentially in trouble. So we're going to go through those questions one by one. The first of which is, what's the potential significance of back pain in a patient with metastatic disease? And of course, a very obvious thing to consider is that some cancers have a propensity to spread to bone. And we know that prostate cancer is one of them. Uh, there is a list, and I'll let you look that up, but it's worth knowing. Of course, cancers can cause back pain directly. Um, for example, pancreatic cancer commonly causes pain into the back more as a referred pain than because of pressure on the spinal cord. But in a patient with a cancer that spreads to bone, pain in the back is most likely going to be due not to local spread of the cancer, but rather to metastatic spread into the bone itself. 
And this is where you need to think about the anatomy of the spine, uh, the anatomy of the spinal cord, and try to imagine what bony metastasis affecting the spine might do to the spinal cord. So as well as asking questions, the GP is likely to want to examine Peter. Now, I would argue that the purpose of almost any clinical examination is to confirm or refute hypotheses that you've generated from your history taking. Physical examination should always be targeted. There should always be a purpose to what you're doing. And as the first part of the slide says, Peter's GP can make a diagnosis of quadriquina syndrome here without even laying a hand on him. But if he's going to examine, then looking for localised spinal tenderness may be appropriate, although it will often be absent, even with bony metastasis. You'd want to look at how Peter's walking, assess the power in the legs and the reflexes. Straight leg raising is a commonly used examination to assess back pain. Generally speaking, if you have spinal cord compression or if you have compression of the sciatic nerve, straight leg raising is significantly reduced. Now, it can be an unreliable sign at times in examination because sometimes patients with straightforward simple mechanical back pain frankly find it impossible to lie flat or to have their leg pulled around. Assessing for saddle anesthesia is something that should be done, but again, can be difficult to assess. So you feel around the sort of perianal area and ask the patient if they can feel you touch them. And you can sometimes assess the anal sphincter tone by doing a rectal examination. Typically, the anal sphincter will be lax, so you won't get the usual tight opposition to your finger entering the rectum as you would under normal circumstances. Again, if those physical signs are present, they can be very revealing, but patients can have quadriquina syndrome without these physical findings being present. So you shouldn't be falsely reassured by what appears to be a normal examination. You can assess for urinary retention and again, this will be due to lack of uh, normal function of the urinary sphincter. In quadriquina, unlike usual acute urinary retention, uh, this is painless. So whereas if someone has urinary retention, for example, due to prostatic hypertrophy, if they go into acute retention, it will be wretchedly painful and they won't want you palpating their abdomen. In a patient with quadriquina, they may have a palpable bladder, but it won't hurt for it to be palpated. Again, in reality, picking up on these physical findings is difficult. And again, I would say that whilst these examinations make sense, most of the concern comes from the story. So we then move on to the GP's most important thought. What am I going to do with my patient? 
And for all the reasons we've discussed, Peter has Cordoquina syndrome, that is relating to malignant spinal cord compression. And this is an emergency. According to NICE, every oncology department ought to have a dedicated member of staff to deal with suspected malignant cord compression. Local arrangements do vary, but Peter's GP needs to be on the phone now talking to the most relevant person in secondary care to see Peter. This needs to be dealt with now, not the next day, not the next week, because unless this cord compression is relieved, then Peter's going to suffer permanent damage to his spinal cord with neurological deficit, including paralysis. Missed cordoraquina syndrome is a common reason for GPs and secondary care doctors to be successfully sued. It doesn't always present classically. In the early stages, symptoms can be quite subtle and can be quite difficult to tell apart from straightforward back pain. The other thing that makes it difficult for patients and doctors is that symptoms can sometimes escalate quite quickly and patients can move from having apparently innocent symptoms to red flag signs. The important thing is to have a high index of suspicion, particularly in patients who are going to be at risk. So what are the take homes really from this case? Why have, have I put this case here as, as opposed to others that I might have chosen? What I really want you to take away is some sort of idea as to how to logically work through back pain in order to determine those patients who need more time and attention. Cordoraquinus syndrome is rare, but if it's missed, it will be a disaster for the patient. What I'd like you to take away from here is the idea that when you're considering back pain, a fundamental question to ask yourself is, where do I think this pain's coming from? Generally, pain that's coming from muscular spasm will be felt in the back and will tend not to radiate very far and wide. Pain from the back that's radiating distally uh, into the buttocks, into the legs and beyond, uh, and that's associated with paresthesia, is suggestive of pain travelling along nerves, radicular pain. And dependent on the severity of that pain, and dependent on other symptoms of neurological damage, including muscular weakness and sphincter disturbance, you can then make some sort of judgment as to the level of damage that's being done. Really where we started, back pain is a common problem. Most back pain that you will see will be unpleasant for the patient but will not be serious. And patients can be encouraged to take analgesia, mobilise and they will get better. But you need to have thoughts 
as to those situations where more needs to be done. You need to think a bit harder. You need to look a bit more closely. And this is one of them. I hope you found the case useful. Go back and look at some of your basic teaching around spinal anatomy, uh, physiology, and the sessions you've already had on back pain. And I hope that by working through that teaching and this case, your understanding will have improved. Do feel free to send me any questions.